Praise the Lord and welcome to our weekly 30-minute podcast, The Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Our podcast will cover various topics that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or even controversial from a biblical perspective. We're blessed to have a team of wonderful producers who want to make each episode something that will be enjoyable and informative. Today, we have a special guest, Sister Nastasha Powers, who will talk to us about human trafficking, awareness, and prevention. I'll be right back with today's episode. The month of January is Human Trafficking Awareness and Prevention Month. The purpose is to raise awareness and educate the public how to identify and prevent human trafficking crimes. These crimes impact the international community, and it is an issue of epic proportions in our local communities. It generated $32 billion worldwide annually in dirty money. Our guest is Sister Nastasha Powers. Beginning her studies in criminal justice in 2018, Nastasha knew from her first class that she would be working with survivors throughout her career. She has had the opportunity to study victimology in London and France under Dr. Shelley Clevenger, as well as Croatia for additional victim studies at the University Centra of Dubrovnik under Dr. Don Pickner. She's had the drive to give voices back to survivors of violent crimes. Nastasha started her career as an intern at YWCA, Stepping Stones Sexual Assault Resource Center, and works closely with victims of violence, including child abuse. After her 2019 graduation, she began working as a full-time legal and medical advocate, and now serving as the coordinator of advocacy and education services. She continually seeks opportunity to support and advocate for those in need. Nastasha has finished her master's degree in criminal justice, specializing in women and gender studies, where she completed her own research on how to advocate for those not comfortable with reporting and how communities can better serve survivors so that they will not have to think twice before disclosing abuse. Nastasha, welcome back to the Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. How are you today? I am well, and it is good to be back. Well, thank you for coming back you've been busy this week educating the school age children and attending court so we appreciate your time we have a very major topic to discuss we've been hearing a lot about it in the news and let me start by asking you Nastasia what is human trafficking So human trafficking is the recruitment or transportation of a person, the transferring of a person through force, fraud, or deception. And the purpose of human trafficking is to exploit them for profit. Um, Sometimes traffickers often use violence or fraudulent employment agencies 
They also use fake promises of education and job opportunities to force a person into the victimization of human trafficking. So um, it's very unfortunate that here in the 21st century that that we're dealing with something so so evil and and disrespectful of humankind that men women that groups would stoop that law to to take advantage of people mm-hmm. what are what are the different types of human trafficking so a lot of times when we assume human trafficking we just think about the sexual human trafficking or those that are being trafficked through sex for slavery. There's also human trafficking in the entertainment industry and hospitality industries and even as domestic workers. So what does that look like? That can look like a nanny. That can look like somebody's chef. That can look like somebody that is just taking care of the home, a maid or a house person. And it is also for in marriages, believe it or not. There are a lot of I don't know if you're familiar or if you've heard of it, the mail-ordered bride. That's also a form of human trafficking. Um, I, have, often, I have never heard of a mail-ordered bride. What is that? So a mail-ordered bride is basically someone that is basically most likely trying to flee their country or support their family. And so they make an arrangement to come to another portion of the state or wherever they are through marriage. It's an arranged marriage, and the person that they are marrying is paying them or paying their family for that person to be able to be that spouse. Wow. All right, go right ahead. with (laughs) What are some of the other forms of human trafficking? Victims are also forced to work in factories or on construction sites or in architectural settings, and they are actually paid way less than what we would get paid as minimum wage. So you hear a lot of complaints of minimum wage, whereas traffickers, if they're receiving any money at all, it's a small percentage of what even minimum wage is. Wow. There's even some that are forced to have their organs removed and then children that are, of course, forced into service soldiers. So we have what they call like the war soldiers or thinking about some of those areas like in Afghanistan or in Africa where there's children soldiers. Those are also some that are being forced and it's considered to be human trafficking. Well, you know, there are a lot of very, very sick people in this world to do things like this on such a a broad scale. And they're hurting people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's even painful to think about. What is the most publicized form of it? You talked about the various types. What is the most publicized form of trafficking? I think that the most publicized one or the, even the ones that we see a lot when it comes down to um, media and TV and movies, it's mostly going to be those that are forced into what we would call like the agricultural world or those that are forced into what we would call sex slaves. And, and so why, why is the sex slave trafficking considered 
worse than any of the others. Why is it getting more publicity? Is it because there's more money involved or because it seems to be a higher level of a criminal activity? I think that it is definitely more money involved. You talked about the numbers of the the billions of dollars that come in from sex slaves or from human trafficking alone, and it's more. If we think about the world that we're in today, as much as we as Christians don't like to use this word, but we think about society as a whole, sex sales, right? Yeah. And so when we think about that, we think about the perversion of the world that we're in right now, and with that perversion things that you can't have, you basically want even more. And so for that, when it comes down to human trafficking, the majority of the victims of human trafficking are children, are younger age people, are those that don't want it. And when we think about sexual violence, it is a game of power. And so because it is a game of power, people are hungry for power. And I think that it is honestly the reason why it is something that is publicized most and one of the reasons why it is one of the more vulnerable situations is because a lot of offenders are using people's bodies against them their own bodies are their weapons so what what is being what is being done in order to try to minimize or stop this i don't i don't think it could ever be completely stopped you know we heard about the the jeffrey epsteins you know heard about him read about him and on all of those that were associated with him and the the horrible things that happened among him and his associates and i know this is happening on a larger scale all over the world what is being actively done in order to curtail this? Raising awareness is the first thing. Raising awareness is definitely one of the first things that we can do. Having that conversation, not just with our children, but in the community is very important so that not only can you know the signs to protect yourself, but you can also know the signs so that maybe you can help to save someone else. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that we can do because the more that awareness is raised, the more we're able to, one, see the signs, two, be able to act upon it, and three, it's just like calling a bully out. The more you begin to call a bully out, the more it begins to resolve itself. Now, I don't think that it's something that will be resolved within the next 10 years, and maybe not even within the next 20 years, but the more that we have this conversation, the more that we raise awareness, the more that we raise the next generation to be able to be prepared for it, to know the signs, to flee from it, the more we are able to tackle this epidemic. If you had an opportunity to present before a, a certain age group, in order to raise that level of awareness, what, what age group would you be most interested in speaking to? You know what? One of the things that I'm learning, you mentioned me being in the schools within this very week. One of the things that I'm learning is you start as young as them being able to talk. Wow. And you make sure that it's age appropriate for them to comprehend what's going on. You're not, of course, going to tell them exactly like all the facts about sex trafficking or human trafficking at the age of five but one of the things that we do within the school alone is like within this last week we've been teaching children safe and unsafe adults 
we've been teaching children tricky adults and then we've been teaching children safe and unsafe touch very age appropriate but at the same time it's getting them prepared and getting them to kind of know what to look for what surroundings to be around what to do if you are around what we would call a tricky person or an unsafe adult and what kind of um, response are you getting from the students that you present to in the school systems? Are they asking questions? Do they seem to be shocked? Is this something that they are aware of? We have children that are very much receptive. So we start in the classroom. Sometimes we're in daycares, but we start in the classroom if available as young as kindergarten. And when we go back to the classroom, we kind of question them if they remember who we are. And so when we do that, it shows that it's actually very receptive to teach the children while they're young. Because when we go into that next level classroom, even if they don't remember our faces, they remember what a safe adult is, what an unsafe adult is, what to do if they run into what we call a tricky person. And then the higher the age they are or the more um, the older they get. Uh, we are learning to actually implement internet safety and we're implementing safe relationships because when it comes down to human trafficking as well as other situations that are unhealthy, a lot of times we find that children, once they are receptive and they understand what a healthy relationship is, they'll know when someone is grooming them to prepare them for either trafficking or an unsafe relationship or even abuse. And so it prepares them and it shows them value in themselves. What is the most likely, or I should say, who is the most likely to be the victim of sex trafficking by age? So when it comes down to sex trafficking, there is no specific, I'm not going to say, I feel like everyone is vulnerable to be a victim of sex trafficking or human trafficking overall, right? But a lot of times when we're looking at predators, when we're looking at traffickers, we're looking for or they are looking for somebody that is actually vulnerable. And when we talk about vulnerable, one of the most populations that come up or the most popular populations that come up is going to be marginalized populations. Those are the populations that society is not very accepting of or populations that may have issues at home or a population that is homeless different things like that so when you say when you say population we're not talking about race we're just talking about what a person's status in life correct what about race is there is there a um is this is this dominant in a certain type of race or more prominent I feel like when it comes down to trafficking, it is most likely going to be a lot of victims that are people of color. And then we're also looking at immigration status, too. Okay. So those that are trying to flee as a refugee, those that may not have citizenship are more likely to become victims of human trafficking, things like that. So it just depends on the vulnerability of that person. And what about gender? Is it more common among males or females? Are females more vulnerable than than males, or are they equally vulnerable? 
I would say that females are more vulnerable, but those are based off of statistics. And one of the things that we are learning with statistics is statistics are based off of the number of reporting. So there are a lot of people that are not reporting these numbers. And because they're not reporting these numbers, we don't have the actual numbers. We do see that when it comes down to trafficking, there are more than likely going to be women that are vulnerable in the sex industry. But then when it comes down to the labor industry, they may seek males for that. You were talking about safe, safe relationships, safe friendships. How do you identify or what is the profile of a human trafficker? Believe it or not, the traffickers are probably going to be your neighbor next door. It's probably going to be your mom's best friend. So they look like safe people, but in the end, they are the unsafe or what we would call the tricky people. What is it going to look like? It's also going to look like somebody that is very prestige in the entertainment industry because they're recruiting you for that trafficking or mm -hmm. for that job so that they can have a profit for it. Or it could even be somebody that is already in the industry. Just thinking about two of the most famous people that we know about that have victimized women is Jeffrey Epstein and R. Kelly, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so it looks like those familiar faces, those faces that everybody loves and everybody wants to see or wants to know. But once they get you attached or once they get you in a space where they can kind of try to take over you or have power over you, that is when you begin to get victimized. So speaking of Art Kelly, the ladies that were living with him, I guess we could say, were they doing that because that's what they chose to do? Or did they find themselves in a position where they were actually almost like slaves to him. I would say it's of the latter. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when you go into a situation like this, you may think that it's what you want to do in the beginning because you want to gain the trust or the love of that person, that individual that's actually preying off of you. And then you find yourself going down a downward spiral because they're asking for more from you. They're asking for more from you, not just for them, but for their friends so that they can get some type of profit off of it and before you know it you're in this space where you have no control you don't have a say so so let's speak specifically concerning a female she finds out that she's not with a safe person or she's not in a safe relationship how does she get out what steps does she take to remove herself from that from that situation you know maybe you just started out with her and a friend and then all of a sudden, it's his friend's friends or her friend's friends. What steps do they take to get out? So first, I think that the first step is wanting to get out. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you deal with a situation where you've been in the situation for so long that you don't even realize that you can't get out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's first accepting what is happening and then being able to say, OK, enough is enough. That's the first step. And then when you say enough is enough, it's not just leaving at any time, but it's making sure that you explore all of your options. You're checking your surroundings and you're making sure that when you leave, you're leaving in a safe manner or you're leaving when the time is safe so that you're not harmed, 
and no one else is harmed in that situation. So you definitely don't want to pull another bystander in, if that makes sense, and then put them at risk of being harmed. But you want to make sure that when you leave, it's a time where maybe you know that your offender is not going to be around. Mm -hmm. Or it's a time that you know that if the offender has people that are watching over you, they're not paying attention. And you have an escape plan. One of the things that we do with my job at Stepping Stone is we create safety plans. And so if you need somebody to help you to create that safety plan with you, then doing that before just jumping out because it puts you at risk and other people at risk as well. What does a safety plan look like? It can look like in the beginning, making sure that you have the safe time to leave making sure that you have a safe person to flee to, Mm -hmm. making sure that you have an escape plan Mm -hmm. and making sure that going forward, whatever that escape plan is, even if it's starting off with trying to collect your belongings, if you have an ID, if not, it's fine. We can start over. So it just depends. Safety plans are based off of that individual and that individual situation. If there's children involved, making sure that the children are at school, so that they're not in harm's way. If there's any other bystanders involved, making sure that they know what's going on. So it's just making sure that all of your ducks are in the row before you head out. Well, this sounds like it's a process that could take maybe a few days or maybe a week or so, or maybe longer to to get in place, huh? It can, depending on the situation. But just like the predator, it takes a few days or weeks for them to grab their prey. Mm. And so in that, you have to be smart when you're trying to flee from a situation because you want to make sure that at the end you survive once you flee. Uh, we, we talked a few minutes ago about Jeffrey Epstein. Um, we know what happened with him. Have you had time to, to follow up on the impact that his life and that whole tragedy had on politicians, corporate leaders, And the banking institution, have you had any updates on that? So when it comes down to Jeffrey Epstein and the follow-up of his victims, I feel like, honestly, because of the way things ended. Would would you say that for his victims there was no, and I don't like to use this word, but this is a word that's used quite often, there was no closure. It's like he, he got away with it. He, and no, he didn't get away with it because at the end of the day, where is he now? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, but he never, there, there was, was no, no justice. Order. There's no mm-hmm. justice for them. He didn't have to appear before court. He didn't have to take responsibility for it. He didn't have to appear before his accusers and, and let them address him for what he did to them. So, in a sense, it's not over for them, huh? No. And even when victims do see that day of justice or that day in court, it's still not over. Let's just be honest, because the healing comes within themselves. And so even after they see their offender arrested or even once they flee from their offender and their offender is nowhere in sight and not chasing after them anymore, the justice doesn't start or that healing doesn't start until that that person finds it within themselves to begin healing. When I served as a chaplain, we learned that 
for people who are diagnosed with a terminal illness that spirituality or spiritual care is very important, is a very important process for the terminally ill and also for the family. Mm-hmm. How important is spiritual care for people who are victims of human trafficking? And is that a part of the process that advocates are involved in? We are involved in it, and I think that is very important. I think it's very important. I have started to use this depiction recently because it makes a lot of sense when it comes down to victimization. A lot of times people say time heals all wounds, right? Yeah. But if you have a toothache, time's probably not going to heal that wound. You probably need to go see a dentist, right? I can tell you that from personal experience. (laughs) (laughs) And so... At the end of the day, or if you have an appendicitis, if you have that infection in your appendix, if you let that sit, there's a possibility that that appendix could rupture. And then there's more attention that needs to be addressed to that wound. So it's the same thing with victims. Most of the time, time is not healing all wounds. You have to address that wound and stop covering it up. And once you begin to address that wound, that's when you can actually begin to heal. I heard it like this, uh, Nastasha. Um, time does not heal all wounds. It's what you do with the time. Yeah. Do you come across any cases or situations where a person who is a victim is in denial and say, I'm not a victim? So speaking outside of my professional, that is true. I will say that for confidentiality. Mm-hmm. So if it's somebody that is not related to work, I will say that sometimes they have not addressed it. And because they have not addressed it, they're dealing with anger. They're dealing with strife. They're dealing with addiction. They're dealing with depression. And do those have to be addressed before they get to the stage of acceptance or Is this done in some kind of chronological order? Is there a sequence to this before they can get to that point of acceptance of being a victim? You know what? I'll be honest and say not everyone gets to that point. Some people, they just mask it. Hmm. They just mask it and they continue to go forward. Yeah. And sometimes that masking can actually put on a really, really good illusion. But every once in a while, you'll see it peek through. And so there is no specific order. But one of the things that I do recommend is first making sure that you address it within yourself before going outside of yourself. And is it possible for that person who is masking to be a functioning individual? Well, we have functioning alcoholics, right? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And they can have what everybody looks like, a happy life, mm-hmm. or they can continue to keep a job. But then at the end of the day, the people who really care about them see the issue. What should an individual do if they suspect a person is a victim of human trafficking? So one of the best things that I would do is I would make sure that you cautiously observe. And so what does that look like? 
that means making sure that you are in a safe place. You never put yourself in harm's way. But while you are observing, try to gather as much information as possible. So while you are observing, look to see if somebody is speaking for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Look to see if they, you know, if it's somebody that you're communicating with, if they're able to speak for themselves. And if they're not able to speak for themselves, take a mental note of what's going on. Um, Look to see how they're dressed. Look to see if they're kind of scared around that other individual that is in control of the conversation. Look to see if they have any bruising or any marks or anything like that. And then making sure that as soon as possible, while you have observed this information, try to get a picture of that person as well as the, the individual that's with them, which is most likely going to be the predator, the trafficker. Mm-hmm. And try to report that to the authorities as soon as possible. You have shared a lot of insight with us in a very short period of time. And I can hear the, the passion in your voice and your love for what you're doing. For those who want more information, what resources are available to victims and to the public? So for nationally, there is the National Human Trafficking Resource Center, and um, that telephone number is 1-888-373-7888. And within the United States, there is the Department of Justice for Victims and Survivors, and that contact information is 1-866-347-2423. Now, while these are national numbers, there are definitely resources that are in your local area because believe it or not, human trafficking is in our own backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Nastasha, thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy schedule. We love you dearly. I have great respect for you, for your passion and for what you do, and I know you are a great blessing to many people in your community. Thank you again. God bless, and be safe, and stay healthy, okay? Thank you for having me. Well, friends, that's all the time we have for this episode. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode, which was produced by Elder Corey Lyndon Bellamy Sr. Be safe, stay healthy, God bless.